As John said, we're looking at Ephesians chapter 5, beginning at verse 22. In the Pew Bible, that is on page 949. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the saviour. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church, without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, Husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body, just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body, For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery. But I am talking about Christ and the church. So we are in a series, uh, and it's a series on the church. It's called The Most Powerful Force on Earth. And we've looked already last week, uh, Dale spoke to us about the church as the body of Christ. We've looked at the church as the temple that's filled with the spirit. Uh, We've learnt that the church is owned by Christ Um, But this morning we come to one of the most beautiful pictures of all of the church and that is the church is the bride of Jesus. So let me pray and we'll look at this together. Father, I pray with my brothers and sisters here uh, that you would show us the beauty of your word, uh, that you would show us the truth of your word and Lord, it would... Uh, give us hope and light, Lord, that uh, we would love to humble ourselves under your hand and under your truth and that we would drink in uh, that which is um, so enriching from, from you, O oh God. So please be at work, Lord, by your spirit, uh, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So... Imagine now in your, in your 
mind uh, a young couple, maybe they're in their 20s, and uh, they've fallen deeply in love. There's some people here this morning, you were that young couple a few years ago, and uh, fallen deeply in love, and you've decided to get married. God says, there it is, there's a picture. This picture of this young couple is a picture of the church because this is what it says in Ephesians chapter 5. For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery but I'm talking about Christ and the church. So two people, man and a woman, two. They come together and become one. They're united as one in marriage. And the scriptures say this is a profound, profound mystery. I'm actually talking about Christ and the church. (laughs) So, so every couple that gets married, um, they are pointing to something bigger, something so amazing that, that, that is beyond our comprehension, something in eternity they're pointing to. There are signposts to something that is profoundly mysterious. And this mystery is Christ and the church. One of the deepest longings of all human beings is for a deep, intimate, secure relationship that's full of love. It's one of the deepest longings of everyone in this room. And this picture that God has put before our eyes this morning, the picture of Christ uh, and the church as um, a, a bridegroom and bride, is revealed to us as a a picture of meeting our deepest longings, some of the deepest longings that ever we could have. The idea of, of God being the husband and his people being his bride is an ancient idea. Way back in in Isaiah 54, God says for your maker is your husband, and the Lord Almighty is his name. And in fact, in Jeremiah 3, it, it, it says that when his people go off and go off with other gods or go off with other things that they love, he calls them prostitutes. He says, you prost- you've gone. I am your God. I'm your husband. You're acting like harlots, like a prostitute. And he's very, very clear on that. And so that picture of, of husband and wife, of God and his people, has got very, very deep roots way back in ancient times. So I want to look at Ephesians chapter 5 and ask three questions. The first question is, what is the meaning of marriage? The second question is, how does the marriage covenant change us? And the third question is, when is the wedding? So number one, what is uh, the meaning of marriage? What is the meaning of marriage? 
Listen to uh, Ephesians chapter 5, 25. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. What is the difference between someone that's married and someone that's just living together or just in a de facto relationship? What is the difference actually between those? This is the difference. A promise. It's a promise. I often uh, have the privilege of having a a bridegroom stand here and a bride stand here, no pulpit here. And and you know, when they stand there, I'll tell you what I don't ask them. Here they are, all looking radiant and absolutely beautiful on the day. I don't ask them, I don't ask the bride, how do you feel about your husband? And I don't ask the husband, how are you feeling inside right now? That's not what I ask. I'll tell you what I ask them. I say, will you take this woman to be your wife? Will you? (laughs) Will you? Will you make a promise? (laughs) And the the response is, I will. It's a promise. It's a promise made between each other and it's a promise made before a whole lot of witnesses and it's a promise made to God and it's a promise. (laughs) That's what a marriage is. It's a covenant. It's a promise. And when God is saying Jesus is the bridegroom and his church is the bride, he is making a promise. And the way he makes that promise, the way a bride and a bridegroom make that promise is that they they say words, I will. And the way Jesus makes that promise is that he gives himself up. He gives himself up for the bride. How does Jesus give himself up? He goes to the cross He goes all the way to the cross, holds nothing back, and he's going to the cross, totally giving himself up for the bride, for his own beloved, the one that he loves. Jesus on the cross doesn't hold anything back. Uh, He receives mockery, and he's got shame, and he goes all the way to die, totally giving himself up, the Son of God. The one that has existed with the Father from all eternity comes all the way down to earth and he gives himself totally. There's nothing he did not give. He gives himself up. His whole reputation is shattered. People are looking at him on the cross and they're laughing and they're mocking and they're making fun of him. And he, but he does not care because he, he's only got his eyes on the bride. He's got his eyes on the people that he is purchasing. He went to the cross and the thing that was driving him was love. Love. A love for the people. And he didn't consider the shame. He didn't consider the agony because he had his eyes on a people that he loved and that he was seeking He was buying her, he was purchasing her, he was redeeming her and he he was making her his own. Three things about this covenant that Jesus in his blood is making a covenant, a promise to his people. Number one, notice how loving this covenant is. 
the depth of the love. I mean, we can say to someone, I love you, but in a little while we kind of fall out of love or we don't find the person so lovely. But, but Christ is not like that. Because it says that while we were still sinners, while we were still ugly, while we were still sort of filthy and there was nothing lovely in us, he loved us and he died for us even when we were not lovely. And so this means that it is an unbreakable promise. It's not as though he looks and it depends on how lovely we are that that he will continue to, to commit himself to us. That is not the truth. The truth is that he saw us as we were in our brokenness, in our dirtiness, in our grubbiness, in in our unloveliness. And he says, I love you. I love you. I'm dying for you. Notice how intimate this covenant is. The, the, The marriage covenant is the most intimate of all possible pictures that God could have chosen to talk about the relationship between him and his people. He could not have chosen a more intimate picture than this. And yet this is the picture he chooses. And and being a Christian is not about being a good person. It's not that's not it. <laughs> it's not about being doing good things and so I'm I'm just going to be a good person. That's not it. To be a Christian is someone who has received the love of God so deeply in their hearts, so intimately, so powerfully, so transformingly that they know that the God of heaven has given himself, given himself up in an unbreakable unbreakable covenant. Of love. And notice that this covenant brings a belonging. It says here in verse 29, it says, After all, no one ever hated their own body. Do you hate your own body? No one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their bodies just as Christ does the church, for we are members of his body. What he's saying is that the two were, the bride and the groom used to be separate. But, but when they become one flesh, they are united. And in the same way, we are now united as his people to Christ. And we're one body. We're, we're not two. We're one. And he cares for us. He loves us. We are members of his body. My thumb is a member of my body. If I badly damage it, with a hammer or whatever I do, I don't sort of just say, oh, I'll just forget my thumb and I'll, I'll just, just forget it. I'll just, I'll, I'll just deny. What I do is that I take that thumb and it goes to hospital with me and, and the whole body goes because it's part of my body. I care about that. The whole body cares. And, and so we all go. When, when we are suffering, when, when something is painful, you are part, you're belong, you belong to Christ. He will not forget you. He will not say, oh, I'll just cast you off for a minute and, and you're not important to me. That's not true. With an unbreakable covenant, you are his. You're loved by him and he will not drop you. He will carry you. You're, you're, you're deeply part of who he is. You belong. Do you see? You belong. Number one, what's the meaning of marriage? Marriage is a covenant. It's a promise. 
But number two, how does this marriage covenant change us? Well, it says that he gave himself up for her, Christ went to the cross and he died for his people, his bride. Why? Why? To make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. Listen, here is the purpose statement. Why? Why? And Jesus says, to make her holy, cleansing her. Do you know, Jesus has died for his bride. He's totally given himself up, but that was not enough. Believe it or not, that was not enough. (laughs) He's got work to do. He wants to cleanse her. Do you see the church? In many ways, we're still grubby. In many ways, we are still not what we should be. Where is our courage? Where is our joy? Where is our love? We've got... But God is, is working and he's cleansing and he's, he's, he's still got work to do. You might look around and you might be dissatisfied. You might look around and say, oh, if only God's church was this or that or the other. You might do that. But Christ is totally committed to cleansing and to making us holy and to renewing us. And he's not going to stop. How? It says, through water and the word. That picture of water is a picture of, I think, picture of baptism. Giving ourselves totally, nothing held back. Baptism. Uh, A picture of baptism, but the word. We're cleansed and washed through his word. There is something very profound about his word. His word comes, and I just want to say this to you this morning. There is something that I do not understand, but is very, very powerful and beautiful about his word. It has a cleansing power. I desperately need to be cleansed by God's word daily and weekly and monthly, and I just need that word, and so do you. And through his word, he's doing a cleansing and a re working in our lives. It's a washing of the water and the word. And and he says there, to present to himself a radiant church. So, so, So Jesus has got in his mind, in his mind, he's got this picture of a church, a bride that is just pure, without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish. When the bride walks down the aisle, she is perfect. Doesn't matter what she looked like yesterday. On that day, (laughs) on that day, she is magnificent. Like she is totally magnificent. And so it is with what God has got in mind for his church. You might say, oh, I just feel like giving up or I'm just, just so discouraged or whatever. Well, Jesus is not. He's got in his mind this picture of something that is absolutely beautiful. And I'm glad to be part of a church. 
I'm glad to be a pastor of a church, not because I see the church right now as riding from one victory to the other and stainless and without blemish, not yet. But I believe, I really believe that that is what the Lord is doing. He's working in his love, in his power, in his deep commitment so that he will take all our dirtiness, all our filth, all our degradation, and he is cleansing it. He is working. He's still at work. It says that to present to himself a radiant church, it's as though he said, I've chosen this, this, this church, this bride. Out of all the others I could have chosen, I've chosen her. And I want to show everyone how, how beautiful she is. I'm so proud of her. I, I think she's just absolutely magnificent. Look, I want to show it to my friends. I want to show it to all creation. See, see what a beautiful, beautiful bride she is. That is God's commitment in Christ to make himself a church. And so it is that we as a church more and more need to um, be a people that through our love and through our joy, through our deep repentance and through our hope, through our good works, through our praise, uh, are like a bride, just like a bride, without blemish. Radiant is the word here. Radiant. Lastly, number three, when is the wedding? Do you know there's a very big difference between or between a, a, a wedding that we have in, in Australia in the West and a Jewish wedding? They're actually quite, quite different in this regard. If someone here gets engaged to be married, uh, they've got this opportunity before the, marri- the, the wedding date to kind of back out of the wedding should they want to. And they don't have to go through with it. That's not actually the way it is with Jewish weddings. In Jewish weddings, uh, there's two stages. There's the betrothal and there is the actual wedding ceremony. But, but when a, a man and a woman are betrothed to one another, that is a binding covenant. They are fully fledged husband and wife. Have you ever wondered why uh, when Joseph found that Mary was pregnant and she was betrothed to him, that he wasn't, they, they hadn't yet consummated the marriage, why he was considering divorcing her? It's because a betrothal was a binding covenant. They, they were fully fledged husband and wife. And, and to get out of this betrothal would, would require a divorce. And so, so it is, I think this is the picture that we have here, that, that, that we are betrothed, we are fully fledged. As God's people, we are his bride. There's no backing out. It is Sealed in his blood. But there is a wedding ceremony coming. Listen to what it says, for example, in Revelation 19. 
Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters and like the loud peals of thunder shouting, Alleluia, for the Lord our God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory, for the wedding of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, has been given to her. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of God's people. Then the angel said to me, Write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, These are the true words of God. At the end of the Bible, I've talked so far about the past, the covenant, what God has done for us. I've talked about the present, that he is cleansing us. He's washing us by his water and the word. He's at work right now, making her, but now I'm talking about the future. There is a time in the future. It has not come yet. It's called the wedding supper. The wedding of the lamb has come. The bride, it says, has made herself ready. It's a time in the future that has not come yet. At the end of history, the way that history will wind up is with a great feast, a wedding feast, a biggest party you've ever imagined. And it is the most beautiful thing that that could ever be conceived. That, That everyone is together and the king of glory gets worshipped and loved and adored. This wedding is coming. It's the climax of history. Yes, we're in a painful time right now. Yes, there's many of you in this room that are walking through hardship and difficulty. That's true. But there has been a covenant being made by Christ. It's at the very expense of his own blood and it will, it, there can be no changing this, this, this wedding that's coming. And the question at the end of this passage is, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. It's very, very important that you are there at the wedding supper of the Lamb, that you are part of the bride. Blessed are they who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And there is an invitation even today to you. Would you come? Will you come and be part of the bride? Will you give yourself, just as he's totally giving himself up for you, will you give yourself and give yourself completely to him? Get a new identity. Get a new name. Get an inheritance all from him. Be cleansed by his goodness and his grace. The Lord is calling us, each one of us, even though we, we live through a pain-filled world, discouragements and hardships, our eyes, his eyes were on us as he is going through the cross, on his people, a radiant church. And our eyes need to be on him, looking to him and looking to that day. Even when discouragements come and hardships come, please, please, Will you turn your eyes to that day? Will you live as those that have got so many riches 
Sure, I know there's discouragements here and there, but they're only little compared to the glory of what is going to be revealed. These light and momentary troubles, they can't be compared to the glory that is going to be revealed in the coming time. So I'm just encouraging you this morning that the Lord has given us this beautiful, beautiful picture that our hearts would be encouraged They'd be ravished by his love, they'd be strengthened by his grace and that our eyes would would look to him and, and go through this world with joy, irrespective of the circumstances because there's a day coming, there's a day coming when we will worship him face to face. Let me pray and we will sing. Lord, we, we don't see that clearly yet. We only see glimpses. Uh, but we're asking, Father in heaven, that uh, you would so work by your spirit and your word in our hearts, uh, Lord, that we might worship you in anticipation of that great day where we will worship you truly. Yeah, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.